Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called People of Hope, a study in 1 Thessalonians. In this series, we will see that even in trials, the way of Jesus offers us encouragement and hope. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Brian. Good to gather with you, just like Steve said. Hey, have you ever noticed that kids pray uh, with amazing specificity? Amazing specificity. I want to share a few prayer requests that I came across. You can see these on the screen. Dear God, please change the taste of asparagus. It's gross. Thanks. Another one says, Dear God, would you make me a little brother? I want somebody to boss around. Amen. Another one says, Dear Jesus, please don't come back before the next Cars movie. Very concerned about the return of Jesus. The next one says, Dear God, please, uh, please, what does that even say? Oh, please create a holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good in there right now. Very specific. The next one says, God, I'd like to live 900 years like that guy in the Bible. A couple more. One says, Dear God, uh, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. <laughs> That's fantastic. And then finally, dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I really prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> like specific. I mean, that is specific stuff. Have you ever, we sit at our kitchen table sometimes, our littlest one, when it's his night to pray, I mean, he will pray. Thank you, God, for the weather. Thank you, God, for the food. Thank you, God, for school. Thank you, God, for Mrs. Elliot. Thank you, God, for my baseball team. Thank you, God, for Thomas. Thank you, God, for Ella. And the four of us start opening our eyes and looking at each other, wondering if we need to interrupt this prayer because it's going on so long. It's a theological conundrum, right? Do you interrupt a kid praying? But he goes on and on with specifics. And this week, as I thought about this, I... Pray in generalities so often. God, bless this, bless that, be with them, help them have a good day, protect them. I mean, I just pray in these generalities. And I'm excited to look at these verses together today because I believe if we apply them to our lives, it can impact how we pray and how we live. Because when we pray specifically, it makes a difference. We can see more clearly when and how God is at work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. If you're following in your notes, praying specifically can lead to encouragement and hope. And we're in a series in the New Testament book of First Thessalonians called People of Hope. Because we all need that right now. Chapters 1 to 3. Chapters 1 to 3 have focused on personal matters between Paul and the Thessalonian believers, right? He's extended them greetings, and he's given them reason for hope in Jesus. He's defended his motives in ministry. He's thanked God for this young infant congregation, and he has reassured them of his love. And then in the next few weeks, we're going to look at chapters 4 and 5. And Paul's going to pivot to discuss some major theological issues. And in between the opening in chapters 1 to 3 and the ending in, in chapters 4 and 5 are three verses. 
three verses. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of First Thessalonians, chapter three, beginning in verse. 11. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. I want to invite you to take one of those out and follow along. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 can be found on page 957 of those Bibles. But we're just going to walk through these verses. So it would benefit you to have a copy of God's Word open in front of you. Whether you're in the room or online, grab a copy of God's Word. I want to invite you as we're, we're getting ready to look at these verses to think of two images. I want you to think of two rooms with a door in between, right? The, the first room of the house is chapter one through three, and that through 310. And then the second room is chapters four and five. And in between these two rooms is a door swinging on the hinge of chapter three, verses 11 to 13. And what I find fascinating about this door that separates these two rooms of the letter is that during these three verses, between these two rooms, Paul prays. He prays. Today, we're going to spend our time looking at these specific prayers. So let me read the three verses, and then we'll go back through verse by verse. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Paul writes, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Before we look at these verses, I want you to note the structure of the verses. Three times we see the word may. He says, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus. May the Lord, may he. And that word begins each of the three prayers, and it reveals that as Paul prays to God, he believes these are actions God can accomplish. He is trusting God to do this for the Thessalonians. And this is why we address our prayers to God when we pray. We need to recognize who it is we're praying to. And the first prayer Paul prays is for, if you're following in your notes, open doors. He prays for open doors. Would you read the first gray box in your notes with me out loud? It says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Now, I want to point something out in this sentence that we could overlook, but Paul is always infusing theology into his writing. We could skip right over this, but Paul was intentional with his word choice. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus. And so for all you fellow word nerds out there, because I'm a word nerd, this is a compound subject of God and Father and our Lord Jesus with a singular verb, clear. Other translations, if you're reading, say direct. And what Paul is communicating here is just infusing this into the theology that we need to remind ourselves of is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. With the singular verb, Paul is placing God and Jesus as the same subject. And this is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. 
All other religions minimize the deity of Jesus, who Jesus was. And we believe in one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. And Paul's just working this in to remind, remind the Thessalonians that who they follow is the one true God. It gives them hope and encouragement. And Paul prays that God would clear a way for him to get back to them. The word picture here is opening up a way that is blocked by obstacles. And if we go back to chapter 2, verse 18, this is the beauty of studying a book of the Bible. We can start putting some things together. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 18, you can see on the screen, Paul's way has been blocked by Satan. He says, for we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. If you're following in your notes, Paul's plans had been blocked by Satan. And what we learn from this is that we have an enemy who opposes God and his work in the world. And our, I don't know where you are on this, whether you believe we have an enemy, if you believe in the evil one, if you believe in Satan, but we have an enemy. His name is Satan, and he's ultimately been defeated by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but he's still at work in the world to kill, steal, and destroy as many lives as we can. And I believe Paul has been praying and praying and praying, God, make a clear path, make a clear path. I wanna get back to my friends. This is a good prayer. It's a God-honoring prayer that would lead to more people following Jesus and people growing up in their faith. I have no doubt, because Paul was human, he was frustrated, and he was discouraged at times that his way was blocked, but he trusted God. And I just want to ask you, have you ever prayed? Have you ever prayed for anything so specifically and so persistently that seemed God-honoring? It would have brought attention to God, not you. Yet you just keep hitting obstacle after obstacle. Sometimes it's people, Sometimes it's timing. Sometimes it's our own character that isn't ready for the assignment God has waiting for us. And sometimes that could be Satan opposing the good plans of God. Now, it takes discernment and wisdom to know when plans are being blocked by Satan and when God's answer to our prayers is not yet. We need to spend time. This is why we say this all the time. We need to spend time with Jesus in his word, in prayer, in community with other believers who can give us wise counsel. And in Paul's situation, he was convinced that his plans that he had prayed for over and over again were being blocked by Satan. While doing the Bible study that Steve wrote that accompanies this series, something that stood out to me, I've just spent a lot of time thinking about this lately. If you're following in your notes, it says we need to be careful not to be over or under aware of our enemy. As I thought about this, I came to this conclusion. If we're over aware of Satan... But right? if we're over aware of our enemy, we see a demon behind every rock. We, we see a demon behind every walk, rock. We could start paying more attention to Satan than we pay attention to God. And we find ourselves paralyzed with fear, never stepping out in faith. Because sometimes things are just plain hard. And God asks us to step out in faith, knowing that he's with us. So we can be over aware, but if we're under aware that we have an enemy... 
and underwear of the plans of Satan, if we don't believe we have an enemy who opposes God and opposes us, then we start blaming God for Satan's work. I've done this. I've seen this time and time again as a pastor. Why is God doing this? How could God do that? Why would he do that to me? I've said those same words. And it's a dangerous place to be. And listen, this is important. Regardless of which scenario we find ourselves in, whether our plan is blocked by Satan or God has said not yet, regardless of where we find ourselves, if you're following in your notes, we continue to pray specifically and persistently. We pray for God to open doors, but we make a commitment that will stay behind the door that he keeps closed and will walk faithfully through the door that he opens. I read a quote this week by an author named Mark Howell. He said, kicking in doors that God is unwilling to open will only lead to disaster. I've lived this. I was thinking back a number of years ago when our our oldest was really little, I had this idea that it would be great to take our family to the happiest place on earth, Disney World. And my wife, Sarah, said at the time, I don't know that we are supposed to go on this trip. I don't think this is a great idea. I said, this is great. We're going to Disney World. And we had some of these back and forth conversations. And I kid you not, the travel was bad. The transportation was bad. The, the, it rained. One of our kids got hurt at the park. It was a disaster. And I remember standing in our apartment down there saying, we should not have come on this trip. God made that so clear, and I just kicked in the door. And it did not go well. There's some way more serious examples in all of our lives. But we can kick in doors that God keeps closed for a reason. But we continue to pray specifically and persistently. Paul didn't kick in the door to get to Thessalonica. He waited, and he prayed, and he trusted. And we think, we think he made it to Thessalonica again five years later five years on his third missionary journey. He prayed specifically and persistently, don't give up praying. Don't give up praying if something has not come to fruition in your life yet. The first thing Paul prayed for was open doors so he could get back to Thessalonica and supply what was lacking in their faith. He wanted them to grow up in their faith. And then the second thing he prayed for, if you're following in your notes, is increasing love. Increasing love. Love. Would you read verse 12 with me in the second gray box? This is Paul's second prayer. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. The word used here is agape, which we've talked quite a bit about lately. If you're following your notes, agape is an unconditional, self-sacrificing, proactive Love. It means loving people no matter how they respond or how they treat you. And it doesn't change whether they love you in return. It's the love that was demonstrated by Jesus to us on the cross. And it's the love Jesus commands us to practice. On the night he was betrayed, he gathered his disciples and he gave them this command. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, he says this, a new command I give you, love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Every use of the word love in John 13, 34 and 35 is agape, and Paul prays the Thessalonians would fill and be increased and overflow with this love. But here's the catch on this. If you're following in your notes, we can't produce this love ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit. To exercise this love, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes this to the church in Rome. In the letter he wrote to the Romans in chapter 5, verse 5, he says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what this means is we ask God to help us love people, fill us with his love to increasing and overflowing. The the picture is a cup running over, and it's only by asking God for that kind of love that this can happen. Paul prays for overflowing love, first for each other, You could even circle that in your Bibles. His first prayers, they would love each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he prays a prayer that is so radical and so stretching for the Thessalonians and to us. He prays that their love would overflow for everyone else, which are people outside of the church family. If you're following in your notes, Paul prays, for overflowing love for each other, for those in the church and for everyone else, including enemies. Let me share a quote from author Charles Swindoll that captures how radical this prayer was. He writes, you can see this on the screen, I believe. He says, in the first century context, that kind of love I don't think I have it, so let me read it. In the first century context, that kind of love was not only difficult, it was unbelievable. Those were the unbelievers who were responsible for humiliating, slandering, bullying, injuring, and death. In response, they were to love them with unconditional love. Only God can inspire that kind of far-reaching love. Paul prayed for the Thessalonians because he wants them to live the way of Jesus. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus gave what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and he provided an upside-down way of living in his kingdom. And it seems like everything Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount uh, is radical and revolutionary, but what he said about loving his enemies might top the list. How many of you Uh, just out of curiosity, have a favorite Bible verse or verses? Favorite verses? Yeah. I've never heard anybody quote this as their favorite. I've never heard that. In Matthew 5, chapter 43 to 48, these are the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? 
And are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love your enemies. When we hear those words, most of us struggle because we don't necessarily have enemies like the Jewish people did or the Thessalonians did. But for our brothers and sisters around the world, these verses are lived out in real time and they mean something different than they do to us. They have enemies who are persecuting and killing them for their faith. So I want to be careful and make a quick point of clarity about enemies. An enemy is not someone who disagrees with us, right? We don't have to be enemies if you root for the playoff-bound Cardinals or the Cubs. You are not an enemy if you prefer Mellow Cream or Krispy Kreme. You are not an enemy whether you are a Republican or a Democrat and identify different political affiliation than somebody else. You don't have to be an enemy. You don't have to be an enemy to somebody who disagrees over COVID or masks or vaccines. Those are not enemies. Society will tell us we are enemies because if we disagree with people, then we have to hate them. But that is not the way of Jesus. And we have such an opportunity, church, to live lives as the people of God in a different way than we see in culture. It will be revolutionary, like Jesus talked about. So whether we have enemies or people we just disagree with, there's something important to understand here with this increasing love that we're supposed to pray for. Jesus didn't instruct us to love our enemies in order to change the hearts of our enemies. Right? Catch that, right? Jesus didn't instruct us to love our enemies in order to change the hearts of our enemy. It definitely could happen, but that just wasn't his goal. Jesus clearly spells out why it's important for us to love our enemies. He said it in Matthew 5.45. We read it just a few minutes ago. He said that you may be children of your father in heaven. We don't love those who hate us or disagree with us to get what we want or to manipulate a situation. We do it because that's what followers of Jesus do. That's what children of the Father do. We love our enemies because at one time we were all enemies of God and he loved us. We love our enemies to become more like Jesus. So we pray for this. Paul prayed specifically for open doors, specifically for increasing love inside the church and for everyone else, even enemies and those we disagree with. And his third prayer, if you're following in your notes, was for strengthened hearts. Strengthened hearts. Would you read verse 13 in the third gray box with me? It says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. When when Paul prays for strengthened hearts, he's not praying for a good visit to the cardiologist. Most of the time in the Bible, when the word heart is used, it means our entire being, everything that we are, our purpose and our will, our very being. 
So if you're following in your notes, Paul is asking God to strengthen their very lives so that they can live blameless and holy. Strengthen them. Give them a foundation. Make them firm in their faith to live blameless and holy. And blameless, we've said this before, it doesn't mean perfect. Nobody's perfect, even after following Jesus. Blameless means a wholehearted devotion, unmixed devotion. And holy means set apart and devoted to God. And Paul had a choice of words to use here. This is important. Paul had a choice of words to use here. He could have chosen the word that indicates a process leading up to a state of holiness. We work at it. It's a fancy church word called sanctification. But he chose to use the word that means the state or condition of holiness. And what he has in mind here is the Thessalonians possess a standing in God because they had been made holy by God. And the same is true for us when we follow Jesus. If you're following in your notes, we live in light of our holiness. We have been made holy. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has radically altered your life. You are no longer an enemy of God. You are called his friend. If you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven. You are free of condemnation. You are a son or daughter of God. Your heart of stone has been replaced by a heart of flesh, and you can now walk with the help of the Holy Spirit and live a life worthy of God. You have been made holy and set apart. The Holy Spirit now lives in you and empowers you. May your heart be strengthened knowing that you've been made holy. You've been made holy. And we pray for God to strengthen us that we will live up to the calling we've received. And Paul finished the prayer with the motivation to live blameless and holy. And that motivation, if you're following in your notes, is the return of Jesus. The return of Jesus is our motivation for living worthy of God. There is a day when Jesus will return, and Paul uses this as motivation for the choices they make. It's interesting, as you read through the, book, the letter of 1 Thessalonians, every chapter in this letter ends with a reference to Jesus returning. Every chapter ends the same way. And I think Paul wanted to keep the return of Jesus on their minds to serve as motivation for holy living. In fact, as I studied this week, I found that one in 30 verses in the New Testament speaks directly or indirectly to the second coming of Jesus. And I believe the reason for that is how we live now should be impacted by who we're living for. We're living this day for that day. And if we're followers of Jesus, his second coming, it's not a reason to fear. We can wait expectantly and live with the motivation that one day everything will be made right. Everything wrong in this world will be undone. And we will stand before him. And that provides us with great hope and great encouragement right now. Paul's model of prayer is powerful, specific, 
and persistent. And there are other great prayers of Paul. I wanna encourage you to read those. You can see those out to the right of the last line of your notes in Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. In all of these, Paul prays specifically. And it gives us a way to pray specifically. Following Paul's example, if you're following in your notes, we want to be people who pray because prayer changes things. And we believe prayer changes us. Prayer is powerful, changes situations, and it changes us. And that's how we want to respond to the word of God today. We want to practice praying, and we're going to use Paul's model of prayer found in this letter. So I want to invite you to put your notes away. Put your notes away. Put your Bibles next to you. If you are in the room or online, if you're on the couch or in a seat in your living room, just put your notes away. Put your Bible away. I even want you to consider your posture. You just sit back for a moment. Relax. Let the worries of today leave them in the hands of the Lord. He will tend to them until we pick them back up. We don't need to worry about those things. Maybe take a few deep breaths, close your eyes, maybe lift your palms up just as a way of surrendering things to the Lord this morning. We want you to receive this gift of slowing down that we don't do often enough. So I'm gonna guide us in prayer based on this prayer in the book of Thessalonians. I'll pray and then I'll give you a chance to silently voice your prayers and we'll do this back and forth five times. So about the next five minutes, we're gonna practice. We're gonna practice praying specifically and persistently. Let's pray. God, we begin by acknowledging who it is we're praying to. Take this time to ascribe praise to God and thank him for who he is. God, we pray for open doors. Open doors to share the good news of Jesus with those who do not follow you yet. And we pray for open doors to disciple those who do know you, to be part of their spiritual formation. So God, would you bring to mind for everyone in this room and online, anyone that we need to pray for an open door to. And then pray that there might be an opportunity for conversation there.
God, we pray for increasing love. We specifically pray for increasing love in our families, in our friendships, and in our church. Take this time to ask God to fill you with love that overflows for family and other brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for them by name. God, we pray for increasing love for those we don't agree with, for those we might even consider enemies. Take this time to specifically pray for the people you disagree with and ask God to work in your heart to love them. Finally, God, we pray for strengthened hearts so that we can live blameless and holy lives. We offer to you right now any areas of our lives that we need help living blamelessly and holy. We name to you, God, where we need help to live up to the calling we've received from you. the answer to these prayers it's only possible through the power of your Holy Spirit so we pray that your spirit would move in our midst right now would your Holy Spirit move in this room and in living rooms and in kitchens across our community Holy Spirit would you do what only you can do to reveal and convict and restore we need you. Lord, pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.